This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. First of all, doesn't it feel like Friday? <laughs> I know it's Wednesday, but it's so weird. Anyway, uh, Joe Biden uh, wrapping up the year, telling us uh, for about an hour today how great everything is and what a good job he did. Yeah, he's actually he's actually sticking to that story. Before getting an update from my supply chain task force, I want to say a word about the progress our economy's made this year. Nearly six million new jobs. A record number for a new president because of my staff and my cabinet. We're making progress. We got a way to go. We're making progress. I see Marty Walsh, my labor secretary. Marty, you've done a hell of a job, pal. Cutting the red tapes. You know that old expression, make, make lemonade out of lemons? I think we got a shot here. The much predicted uh, crisis didn't occur. Packages are moving. Gifts are being delivered. Shelves are not empty. We've heard a lot about the need for more truck drivers, and it's real. And we've gotten to work to address that. Healthy competition is a hallmark of healthy capitalism. Nobody making less than $400,000 a year will pay a penny more in federal taxes. America is the only leading economy in the world where household incomes and the economy as a whole are stronger than they were before the pandemic. All right, so a lot of what Joe said was not true. It comes very naturally to him, muscle memory almost, when it comes to dishonesty. So I'm watching him today, and uh, I'm like, I've seen this speech somewhere before. It was like a, a deja vu moment. Where have I seen this kind of presentation? And then I found it. See what I mean? Leonid Brezhnev from the Soviet Union around 1970. Yes, all of our five-year plans have been met. We start new factories, everything good in Soviet Union. Um, yeah, he sounded like Joe. He even looked like Joe. <laughs> Same mannerisms as Joe. I'm telling you, it's, it's, it's uncanny. And Joe is a liar. He's been doing it, he's been caught, and he continues to do it over the years, a million times, really, where he's lied, had to apologize, he's been caught, called out, still says the same lie. Um, anyway, what are we gonna do at this point? He's not going to change, he's not. But Joe is trying to convey something else that actually a lot of presidents do, that somehow they're running the country. 
Joe Biden is, in many ways, along for the ride. All right. Now we see the White House and we think it's all powerful and all the things that come with it. Air Force One, the big motorcade. Uh, but he actually has operational control over very little. And what he does have operational free hand with, he didn't do well at all. Afghanistan, now a distant memory. But this is Joe Biden when he is calling the shots. So what is the presidency really? It is a bully pulpit. You get to make big speeches, and you do, if you're good, shape public opinion, shape policy, shape the national agenda. Uh, but so much of it is symbolism, and some presidents are fantastic at that. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Huh? Proud to be an American, right, at that moment? How about after 9-11? I can hear you, the rest of the world hears you, and the people... And the people who knocked these buildings down will hear all of us soon. Now, I know it's early in the presidency of Joe Biden, but what is the iconic moment so far? Forget Afghanistan for a moment, about Joe Biden himself. I think this is it. May God protect our troops. Thank you. Mr. President, Mr. President, what kind of impact does it have when celebrities like Nicki Minaj? Thank you. Thank you. It's going to take a long time for these images to be erased from our memory. Uh, this is it right now. I believe this is the presidency of Joe Biden dodging us, dodging the truth. Um, I can find some other images as well. Falling down flat on his face, giving up right in the middle of the job. Uh, this was pretty ugly. And then, of course, uh, when he gets really, really flustered and frustrated, he just gives up. Remember this moment? Oh, he just gave up when Peter Ducey was asking a question. Peter Ducey, you can handle Peter Ducey, right? Peter Ducey's tough, but you're the president. No, no. So this is the bully pulpit. This is it. This is what we got. And they have joined forces with one of the most corrupt and damaging movements, certainly in my lifetime, Black Lives Matter. Now, you saw and I saw the horrible destruction wrought last year and the ideology of Black Lives Matter. Now, sure, Black Lives Matter, but the organization and the movement is anti-American, it is anti-family, and it's just ruining this country. And it's ruining law enforcement. Uh, cops, they're in such a tough spot right now. Now, an officer was confronted with a man with a gun in Oklahoma. We want to show you how he reacted. You know, body camera footage always shows, when it makes the news, police making a mistake, being too aggressive, arguably. That's, that's the newsworthy stuff. Here, I think the news is the officer did not use enough force. He confronts a man who has a gun uh, trying to get into a house that is not his. That's the report on the radio. Take a look at what happened. Can I receive what you have? Okay, put it down on the ground. 
Okay, stay right there. Do not move. Stay right there. Just stay over there. Put please, sir. Please. Please. Please don't do that. 73, I gotta get a gun. I'm not doing anything. Look, I'm not doing don't shoot. Don't shoot. Don't, don't, but I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm shoot your way don't park. shoot. All right. Now, personally, I would have shot the guy a minute ago. I mean, this is, he's pointed at him two or three times. It goes on from here. Don't, but, don't, but I, I'm not, I'm not. I'm finna shoot your ass. Don't park. shoot, don't I'm finna shoot. shoot your ass. Don't, get, drop the gun. Drop I, don't, the gun. I don't have it, look, look. Look, look, look. I don't have it. I, I don't, look, look. I don't have it. Shot fired, shot fired. The guy has a gun over here. Isabella. I'm okay, but I need backup. Yeah, nobody was seriously hurt. The guy with the gun got away, put himself in an apartment, barricaded himself in there. Somebody else could have been shot. Uh, there is a time and a place to use deadly force. Not sure what this police officer was thinking. Total respect. But perhaps he's been influenced by the national dialogue that says if you pull the trigger, you're probably going to be indicted. All right. That is the climate that we're in right now. Cops have been literally handcuffed, figuratively and literally handcuffed. And Joe Biden has made it clear what side he's on. And when he encourages Black Lives Matter, when he talks up police abuse, when he offers his ridiculous notions and ideas for how to reform police, it has an impact because how does Joe Biden put it? You've heard me say it before, words matter. We need to recognize that words matter. A president's words matter, no matter how good or bad a president is. The words they utter matter. The words of a president matter. Even a lousy president. Yeah, even a lousy president. I agree. Words matter. They sure do. Joe Biden. All right. When we come back, a congressman from New York has a very interesting message for Senator Manchin. In the old days, like maybe four years ago, they would have uh, gone to black, escorted this guy out of the building. But no, you get to say these things on TV now. I'll be right back. Carson, host of the Newsmax Daily Podcast. Tired of boring traditional news updates? How about one with a conservative point of view and it's actually funny? You can subscribe for free on the Apple Podcast app and it downloads directly to your smartphone so you can listen while driving, uh, to work, riding a bike, at the gym, or even while lobster fishing off the East Coast. Subscribe today with the Apple Podcast app or go to NewsmaxTV.com slash podcasts for other platforms. Something's coming. All, I, All can I can say, say is, is that, that the fake, fake news just, just doesn't, doesn't get, get it, do they? they wow. All right. So Joe Manchin said no, at least for now, on Build Back Better. I hope he stays to that. Good for him. You know what he said. Look, this thing is too big, uh, too weird, too many odd things in it. I can't explain it to my constituents. I can't sell it to them. I'm voting no. 
seemed very reasonable to me. I wish more lawmakers had that, uh, that standard. Can I explain it to the folks back home? This is a Congressman, Jamal Bowman from New York. Listen to his reaction to Mr. Manchin, Senator Manchin's no vote. Once again, it's an example of Joe Manchin as a white man showing that he doesn't care about black people. He doesn't care about Latinos. He doesn't care about immigrants. He doesn't care about women. And he doesn't care about the poor. The same way black and brown people and women were kept out of the New Deal, Joe Manchin's trying to keep people out of this bill today. And it's unacceptable. And we need to do everything in our power to make sure it passes. Okay, back before the world went mad, uh, they would have gone to a commercial break, asked him to leave, and they never would have invited him back. This is crazy, crazy stuff. Not anymore, actually. It's kind of semi-mainstream, thanks in large part to the once great newspaper, The New York Times. You know, I grew up reading The Times. The Times set so much of our national agenda, and it was, at one time, a great newspaper with really smart people who wrote for it, including me. One time, I had an op-ed in there, 2004, and I got to tell you, it was a thrill. It really was. Back when, and there it is, uh, back when people actually read the newspaper. But ever since, uh, I guess, 2012, they estimate, the place has gone totally, totally insane. When I was growing up, they had some great journalists there, people who were genuinely curious about the world. Uh, R.W. Apple, Johnny Apple, I think they called him, Robin Toner, Leslie Gelb. I actually met Mr. Gelb on a couple of occasions. Fantastic people. Again, curious about the world. The old newsroom, however, there's a problem. There's a problem. You know what it is, right? Too many white people. Yes, indeed. That's what the mob started to say. Oh, 10 years ago, maybe longer. You know, we just... Uh, we don't like anything. Everything's racist, including your newsrooms. And they capitulated at the New York Times big time. Now, that is uh, woke central. And some of their reporters are, in my opinion, totally insane. Um, they don't like America. They certainly don't like white people. And articles like this are everyday events that should, quite frankly, put the whole newspaper in jeopardy. But this is, I guess, what their liberal readers want, white men on trial. And this is the kind of stuff they say on podcasts and TV shows and elsewhere. Slavery uh, is so foundational to the United States that its legacy can be seen all throughout aspects of modern American society. I couldn't fathom living through such a period. That was until this election, which provided a modicum of similarity to that period over a century ago. Policing is really just the enforcement mechanism of white supremacy. Slavery and its legacy is central to uh, both our history and the country that we are today. Is racism inevitable? It shouldn't be inevitable, but it has been a fixture and legacy in this country. All right, everything is racist. Everything's about slavery and white supremacy. That's all they write about. That's all they think about, talk about. Oh, that and uh, transphobia. There's a new book that I highly recommend. It's called uh, Bad News, How Woke Media is Undermining Democracy by Batia Unger-Sargon. We've had her on the show a couple of times. I'm enjoying the heck out of this thing. And here's something that's going on in the journalism world that if it affects the New York Times, it affects just about every other news organization out there, except certain ones, fortunately. Older journalists at one time taught the younger ones how to think. 
But this younger generation, armed with their judgments and accusations of racism and sexism, became the ones wielding immense influence over their older colleagues. Insiders at the Times describe an atmosphere in which an older generation of editors and staff has completely capitulated to a younger, woke generation. As one longtime Times journalist explained to me, imagine having the stress of being replaced by someone younger with better tech skills and then imagine that that person calls you a racist to boot, and you'll know the fear that older journalists experience and why they have ceded so much moral authority to the younger ones, huh? Phew, what a place to work. So <laughs> this is something that I'm actually working on. I think it's uh, worthy of possibly placement on the op-ed page of the New York Times. It refers to uh, American slavery which I know is a horrible thing. Slavery was an awful thing, and I wish it never happened, but it did. Slaves were brought all over the world. They existed all over the world. A lot of slaves from Africa were brought to Haiti. Other slaves from Africa were brought to other parts of North and South America, like Brazil. The lucky ones were brought to America. If you had to be a slave, America was your best bet. And if that sounds controversial, if that sounds harsh, just ask some of those Haitian want-to-be immigrants that we've been seeing under that bridge in Texas. All right, when we come back, it's the end of the year, so the fake news are doing a lot of January 6th retrospectives, and boy, are they crammed with lies. We'll be right back. Real conflict. Real threats. Real heart. Now, there's a place America gets its news. No agenda. Just the facts. Newsmax. Real news for real people. Who's the opposite? Do you want your house back? Take it! So, in a couple of weeks, it'll be one year since January 6th, so all the fake news channels are doing their... January 6th retrospectives. A year later, where is America? The most horrible thing that ever happened to a democracy, blah, 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 blah. Uh, it's all hyperbole. It's all exaggeration. It's very cheesy and often boring. Take a look. On January the 6th, 2021, a protest driven by false claims of a stolen presidential election led to an unprecedented attack on the seat of our democracy. Police officers were brutally assaulted by their fellow Americans. Law enforcement outnumbered and outflanked on all sides as they fought to defend the U.S. Capitol. The extent of the damage to our nation and our democracy may not be fully known for years, but using hours of never-before-seen videos obtained by WUSA 9 through a legal challenge and new interviews with those who were here that day, one thing is clear. We are a democracy divided. And these are the stories of the Capitol riot. Oh, wow. Oh, boy. Unfathomable. That damage that was done to our democracy we'll never get to. We'll never fully understand the scope. And give me a break. By the way, the Capitol was up and running about three hours after everything settled down. This is such hyperbole. And this guy, Eric Flack, 
just dismissing any and all concerns about the fairness of the 2020 election uh, and the worst thing that ever happened, no. All right, so this documentary, this special feature they had from WUSA 93 News had the standard stuff, you know, footage that we've seen before. Some we haven't, but it didn't really make too much of a difference. Um, but let's go back to the part where he said, unprecedented, unprecedented. This is the worst thing that ever happened. I'll do it again. Certainly not. Not by a long shot. Back in the 1950s, five members of Congress were shot while they were in the House of Representatives by some fanatic in the public gallery. In 1915, a bomb went off inside the Capitol. It happened again in 1980. A bomb exploded inside the Capitol. Two police officers, Capitol police officers, were shot and killed in 1998. And most recently, April of this year, a police officer, Capitol Hill police officer, was killed by an Islamic jihadist terrorist. All right? Never hear about that stuff for clearly political reasons. Now, he also said that you're going to hear from voices that you haven't heard before or people who are key to this uh, whole affair. You heard these voices before and you heard what they said. This is uh, Officer Gunnell who hates members of Congress. He should not be doing that. He should not be saying that. He's still a Capitol Hill cop. He's got a gun, and he doesn't like Republican members of Congress. And he talks about everything he did. He's a hero. Just ask him. When I was 25 years old, and then a sergeant in the Army, I had deployed to Iraq for Operation Iraqi Freedom. From time to time, I volunteered to travel on IED-infested roles, but on January 6th, for the first time, I was more afraid to work at the Capitol than my entire deployment to Iraq. Wow. Ooh. It was worse on January 6th than the war in Iraq. You see where he's going? And he said this to uh, our, uh, our reporter friend from Washington. My time in Iraq doesn't compare to everything that happened here on January 6th. All right. His time in Iraq doesn't compare because a lot of people served in Iraq. A lot of people went to Iraq and some people saw a lot. When I was there as an embedded correspondent, I saw an awful lot, but not everybody did. You could be in the Army or the Marine Corps and go there and never see combat. Uh, by the way, I went to the Burger King uh, in Camp Fallujah. Was it in Fallujah or Tikrit? I can't remember, but I went to the Burger King there. I also bought my first iPod there back in 2004. We called them iPods. Um, for some, life in Iraq wasn't that bad. For some, when I was there, uh, it was actually a hell of a lot worse than anything I saw on January 6th a hell of a lot worse. We'll be right back with, uh, see this guy? Uh, he's got a very interesting mask on his face. It's not quite a mask. It's something uh, interesting. Can I say what it, it's a, he's wearing underwear on his face. Why is he doing it? Uh, we're going to meet him next. the 45th president of the United States. Christmas is a very, very special time. I just want to wish America, the United States, I want to wish the people Merry, Merry Christmas.
scooters and trucks, big 18-wheelers. These things, obviously, we rely on them to keep us supplied, to keep us furnished, to keep us with, you know, we need stuff. And these guys deliver a huge chunk of it. Uh, I'm hearing the supply chain crisis. So much of it is because these guys have way too much red tape to deal with. And the Biden administration has been a very little help. Maybe they've hurt the situation. I'd like to bring in Mike Collins. He's a Republican from Georgia. He's a congressional candidate. But right now, more importantly for us, if you don't mind, we'll talk about your congressional race, sir. You are the president of Collins Trucking Company, Incorporated. Uh, it goes all the way back to 1962, and you're the third generation owner. Uh, Mr. Collins, uh, welcome to Newsmax. How are you? Well, I'm doing fine. Thank you for having me, and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, indeed. So, look, you're an expert, uh, and I keep hearing that uh, murmurings from truckers, uh, you guys are being not treated right by the federal government. What's happening? Well, you know, I'm going to tell you, I think that's that's just one reason that, that we're so high up in the polls. We're 16 points above our nearest competitor, and it's because people are clamoring for someone that's not a career politician. They're looking for outside business people. And you take our business, for instance. Uh, we're in the most regulated industry that there is in, in the country. And, and we have been fighting overreach from the federal government for decades. And I think that uh, things like what's happening now are finally bringing those to a head. All right. Well, look. Joe Biden outlined a, uh, a plan today, or talking about something he's doing. I'd like to get your reaction regarding your industry, the trucking industry. We've heard a lot about the need for more truck drivers, and it's real. And we've gotten to work to address that. These apprenticeships are going to help new drivers <clears throat> get trained better and faster and help companies retain drivers in a field that has a lot, to, uh, has a lot of turnover. So I'm eager to hear about the new partnerships with trucking companies and states to get more truckers on the road and into good paying jobs. All right, number one, is any of that going to help? And what I've heard, another issue is the trucks the, in California specifically, they want them to be less than 10 years old, and that's caused a whole heck of a lot of problems. But please tell me again, from the trucking perspective, what's happening here? From a trucking perspective, uh, Biden and them don't really understand what's going on in, in our industry. You know, if, if they would have taken and reduced the driving age back down to 18 instead of 21, that would have been a huge help. But, but what that administration wants to do now is pump out drivers, I think, within a seven-week plan. The problem is that 98% of the trucking companies out there are 20 trucks or less, and they can't hire people right out of school. You got to have two years more of or experience over the road before they can even hire them. But when you have a, 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 an industry where truck driving school was shut down for over a year during this pandemic, um, anybody knows that uh, there's going to be a huge lapse of new people coming into our industry. Not to just, just mention the fact that they have to wait till they're 21 before they can enter uh, into this uh, into the trucking career. Well, I'm so surprised that Joe Biden doesn't know what he's doing. After all, uh, he's, he had a lot of time behind the wheel. Listen to this, uh, Mike. And anyway, and if we I don't do drive an 18-wheeler, man. Yeah. Oh, I wish oh, yeah. I, That's <laughs> awesome. I got to. <laughs> I, I used to drive an 18-wheeler. Now, he said this a couple of times. Makes it sound like he was a long hauler, you know, like your guys there. 
He went on one trip. It was like a fact-finding mission, and he was already a senator, and it was about 45 years ago. But he says, you see how politicians do that? Anyway, did you know about that? You know, I, I heard that, but I, I can tell you one thing. I know one, one person in his administration that did understand trucking, and that was Donald Trump and the Trump administration. They did more to help our industry through some of the relaxation on regulations than we've ever seen that we've had in the past. And we need more of that. Uh, a lot of the regulations that, that are put out there by these bureaucrats, they have never been in our industry, just like President Joe Biden has never been in our industry. He doesn't know anything about trucking, nor does Mayor Pete. Uh, with this identity politics that they played just to put him in his position, uh, they, they really don't have an answer or the right answer to fix this problem long term or even short term to fix this problem. Uh, you mentioned Donald Trump and, uh, you know, he also, he understood it. He had an affinity for it. Now, people made fun of him when he did this. I thought it was great. He jumps in the truck. He grabs the wheel. You know, he's having fun. He's not above it. And that's one of the things that the journalists uh, could never really understand. Uh, but the people could. I mean, that's what I would do on a truck. They could. And, and as you can see in that clip, President Trump knows his way around a truck. First thing he did was grab the air horn and blew the horn. Uh, so he, so he's obviously been in a truck before. But I can probably assure you that Biden probably never been in that side of the truck anyway. All right. So look, your campaign, you're in the 10th congressional district. Uh, I, I have a good feeling about your uh, campaign and candidacy. I mean, Mike Collins, it no, even sounds no, like a congressman. <laughs> you know, Greg, and, and, and that's what I mentioned in the beginning. I just think people want bold America first agenda candidates that uh, that are willing to put their business to the side. Good pro-Trump people that understand that Donald Trump knew that we need business people in Congress and not career politicians. And and that's I'm, I'm dead positive. That's why people are just jumping behind our campaign and, and uh, helping us. Uh, with with running this race. And uh, we, we do. We look forward to serving you in Congress. All right. Well, good luck. Stay in touch. Mike Collins, Republican candidate for Congress out of the 10th district in Georgia. Thank you. Be safe Thank and you. be safe. Your uh, best wishes to your drivers. We'll be right back. Okay, you've seen this before, uh, a dispute with the flight attendant uh, over a mask issue. But take a look at this. The guy in the gray T-shirt, his name is Adam Jenny. Take it full if you don't mind. He is a consultant from Cape Coral, Florida. Now, he's wearing a face covering, but he's still getting ejected from the plane. Adam Jenny joins us right now. Adam, welcome to Newsmax. How are you? Very good. How are you, Greg? Pretty good, sir. All right, so look. It didn't look like a traditional mask. What were you wearing on your face, Adam? Well, conventionally be known as a women's thong. All right. So uh, we see the issue. We see what could be an issue here. What did they say to you when you're ha you had a woman, you had underwear on your face? Now, Adam, obviously you were, uh, you know, you were looking to provoke something, correct? Absolutely. I did it for a reason. Yes. All right. Well, do me a favor. Tell us the reason. And then we'll talk about the underwear, but just go sure. ahead. Sure. To illustrate the absurdity of all of this, it's it's high time that we put an end to it. And the only people that are going to be able to put an end to it is everyday people like me. We're just going to have to refuse to comply. 
or make a joke of it. Um, this was, for lack of a better term, this was this was a emperor has no clothes moment. Listen, I hate wearing the mask. I I don't wear it just about anywhere I go. If I'm on the plane, I wear the mask because that's the rule. So how many times have you done this before? I mean, you know, and by the way, you lose money, you get, it gets complicated, right? I mean, you know, you, you knew you were gonna get kicked off the plane, what happened? It gets terribly inconvenient and yeah, you do lose money, but yeah, there's, there's more important things in life than a little bit of money and inconvenience. So Adam, here's the thing though, and, and I think you should be careful about this. It's one thing to not wear a mask, but when you wear underwear on your face, they could say, I think they might try to say, well, that's, that's lewd conduct. That's, uh, you know, there's, there's a sexual thing going on there and uh, that's why he shouldn't be on the plane. I think you gotta be careful about that. Did they say anything along those lines? The only thing they get close to is it's inappropriate, but they won't even define why it's inappropriate. And that's completely subjective. I find it wholly inappropriate that I have to cover my face to ride on the safest mode of transportation per every airline CEO. I know, I know. The, <laughs> the air is fresher and cleaner than air anywhere. And we're all sitting there with these masks on. It does seem, it does seem ridiculous. Um, now look, I gotta tell you though, honestly, I'm not a fan of the thong option because there are people who might give you a hard time, who are on your side, who say, look, I don't wanna see woman's underwear on a guy's face. We got enough to deal with. Is there another <laughs> kind of thing you could wear or just take it off altogether? Well, I mean, taking it off altogether is going to bring in a whole host of other problems. So I think actually covering my face and then being removed from the plane while complying with the letter of the law with just something that seems ridiculous, that that was more what I was going for. Uh, by the way, you inspired some other people to leave the plane. I don't know if they had the whole story, but uh, take a look at what happened after you. Well, actually, do we see you get ejected? We have to play that one first. And let's go ahead with that, please. That's you getting up out of the chair. All right, now let's play the discourse you had, the conversation you had with uh, the airline workers. Hey, by the way, I should point out, this was uh, United Airlines. From where to where? Where were you going? Fort Lauderdale to Dulles. Okay, here we go. Does that mean some sort of certification that's different than this? Yeah, it, it, it's, it's not specified in the thing. We go by what, what, what's allowed on the airplane. I'll pass it on to the captain. Airline workers look like they handled it pretty well. I mean, I feel for them a little bit. They don't like these rules. Some of them don't like these rules either, and they don't want to enforce them. You have any beef with them? Actually, no, I didn't have any beef with them personally. In fact, when it was all said and done, they admitted to me that they were on my side of whatever that is, my side of this uh, entirely, and were just doing their job. So, which I understand, but my problem, I guess my problem with all of this is so was Rosa Parks' bus driver. He was just doing his job at the time. That doesn't, that doesn't make it right. 
You know, I never thought about the bus driver. <laughs> That's kind of interesting. Um, now, I want to show the, uh, the passenger you inspired to uh, follow you off the plane. All right, there's some solidarity. Adam, let me ask you something. Do you know that guy? I do now. Wow. Now, yeah. one other thing, it wasn't totally accurate that you were kicked off or not you were kicked off for not wearing a mask. Well, I guess it was. Look, you're wearing underwear on your face, man. And Adam, you know this. There are some guys out there that's a sexual fetish for some people. And they could accuse you of like, okay, he's getting his jollies by mm, sniffing underwear on the plane in front of people. They should have thought of that before they uh, instituted a mask mandate then. But assure you, that's not what it is. But... Um, no, it's just it's just ridiculousness, and this is my way of illustrating it. All right, one and more, one more day after the fact, actually was called down and validated that my mask met all of TSA and FAA regulations in black and white. It did, really. Yep. All right. Yep. Hey, look, I know these masks. The ones for two bu two cents, whatever. I mean, they they stink. They don't work. But no. I know it's, it's such a charade. So uh, you went on the local news channel and you said this. Even as COVID cases start to climb again and hospitals fill up across the country, Jenny is comparing himself to civil rights icons. Everything else that has sparked change in this country has started from everyday people. Rosa Parks was nobody famous. She changed the course of history. All right, listen, I get it. I do. But uh, the fake news is going to... Uh slap you around for this, and they did. Here's Trevor Noah on that very unfunny show. Rosa Parks, my man, don't be so modest. You're more than Rosa Parks. If anything, you're the Martin Luther King of white dudes comparing themselves to black heroes for no reason. You know, I didn't like the way he called uh, white dudes. I just don't like that. White dudes, white guys. I, I just, I, I, I wouldn't do it to, anyway. What'd you think about that, though? I saw it. Daily Show hasn't been funny since about five years before Jon Stewart left. <laughs> All right. Adam Jenny, um, be careful out there. What's your next? Can you tell us your next uh, adventure? No, there's no telling. We'll see what happens. But hopefully, uh, as you know, the CEOs of, was it Southwest and uh, United were testifying in front of Congress the same day that this happened, that masks are useless and all I have to ask them is, what took you so long? It's yeah. been a year and nine I, months, and you guys just figured this out? Yeah, I know. It's, it's, it, it is wild. Well, listen, I think you could use something else other than the underwear. That's for your benefit and the others, but I, I, I like the spirit of what you're doing. Just be careful. And uh, oh, really quick. I do have other masks, and I have been asked to change those as well. Traditional masks that just say something like, freedom doesn't look like this. And people will take offense to that as well. So I don't really think it's about the shape of the mask. I think it's about the message that it sends. 
that people take umbrage with. Yeah. Hey, and if listen. you're not in total compliance with, with what is going on, you're done. And now, as evidenced by LinkedIn canceling my account within two days of this, I, I don't know what this has anything to do with LinkedIn, but LinkedIn decided to come in and crush me or try to crush me. That's crazy, man. <laughs> Adam, Adam, let's stay in touch, all right? I, uh, yeah. I like it. I like it. You know how I feel about the underwear. I'm not going to go back there, but I like it. Adam Jenny, to be continued, we'll be right back. So when the government started handing out trillions and trillions of dollars during COVID, hey, a lot of that money was needed. I get it. That was, uh, I had no problem with it to a point. Uh, imagine this, though. A hundred billion dollars nobody can find. <laughs> Secret Service reports nearly a hundred billion dollars stolen in pandemic relief funds. The Associated Press broke this story. Eighty-seven billion dollars in unemployment benefits could have been paid improperly with a significant portion attributable to fraud. Also this, the Secret Service says it has more than 900 active criminal investigations into pandemic fraud with cases in every state and 100 people have been arrested so far with $100 billion there and looking for, I assume that this will all be found in about three or 400 years. All right, also this, Joe Biden, remember, he used to be a trucker. And anyway, and if we I don't do- drive an 18-wheeler, man. Yeah. Oh, I wish oh, yeah. I <laughs> That's I <awesome>. got to. <laughs> I used to drive an 18-wheeler. Oh, it is. He got a ride in a truck once. It's all part of the public record, Joe. We looked it up. Good for you for trying to get the facts. You jumped into a truck and you took a long ride, 536 miles. Take a look. He actually talked about it. He uh, says this, the trip was also a fascinating glimpse at an aspect of life on the road, little known to most Americans, including myself, until I made the trip. Good for you, Joe. It's back in 1973 or so. What about how he got home? The senator returned to Washington, D.C. by plane yesterday afternoon, saying he intended to go before the Senate this week with no complaints with the complaints he heard. Ah, good for him. He was going to talk about everything the truckers told him. That doesn't make you a truck driver, all right? Typical politician, huh? All right, that's it. Feels like Friday, doesn't it? But it's only Wednesday, Christmas Eve, Eve, um, something like that. We're almost there, folks. Have a great night. Stinchfield is next. We thank you for your support. (laughs) 